Lucky Land Slots, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Going out to Namibia, what a mighty difference. You've got people there coming up to you, asking if they can have one. Just taking them, you know, probably 90, 95% of them are are being taken by people that come along. And it it just never ceases to thrill when you give them a verse, because see, so was the tract as it was, it was a verse on the front with a picture, and then on the back is an explanation of the verse and a simple gospel message. And so you can give them the tract, and then you can just hear them as they're walking away, just reading it. And they're just reading it out loud, you know, the, the Bible verse, by grace you save through faith. So you've given them a tract and they're then just walking away, speaking it. And so people all around them are listening as well. And there's just such such a difference in response to the people out there. There's an interest in spiritual things. They want to, they have a respect, if I can put it like that, for the things of God. And so it was a mighty difference going out there, yeah, absolutely. Welcome to Testimony, an encouraging look at how God works in people's lives. I'm very pleased tonight to have Matt Jenkins with us, all the way from Wales. You're my first Welsh guest, Matt. Privileged, privileged. (laughs) So we're just going to start with a question that I usually ask, which is, what was your upbringing like and what influence, if any, did Christianity play? Yeah, well, I had a very privileged upbringing, really. I was brought up in a Christian home. So from a a very young age, I was under the sound of the Bible, under the sound of the gospel. I was brought up understanding the importance of the word of God, understanding the importance of prayer and speaking to God. I was taken down to the Sunday school every week. I was taken to the gospel meeting every week. And so from a, a very young age, I was brought up under the sound of the gospel. And, you know, sometimes you, you take it for granted, really, then you growing up in a Christian home and the privilege that it is, but come to appreciate now what a mighty privilege it was to be hedged about in the younger years from all the difficulties and the dangers round about and just to be told the word of God from a young age. And not just to be told it as well, but to have parents that lived it out, the, the love and the care that they showed and the kindness that they showed and the provision that they tried to make, you know, it was all done in the shadow, really, of knowing the Lord for themselves. And that kind of flowed out into the, the privileged upbringing I had. So, yeah, played a mighty impact and a mighty role in my young days. So where was home for you? So it was, well, it's about 35 minutes down the road from where I am now, a town called Cumbran. I don't know if people know Wales, but it's about five minutes, 10 minutes from Newport. Not the nicest of places, but, you know, good to be 10 minutes away from it. 
growing up in Cumbran, yeah, and taking them down to the gospel hall in Cumbran every week, you know, brought up in the Sunday school there. It was a privileged upbringing. So tell me a little bit about when that Christian home life actually changed into you having a personal relationship with the Lord yourself. That's the important thing to come to appreciate, really, isn't it? You know, coming to understand that it, it is a personal thing between you and the Lord. And while it's, it's a mighty privilege to grow up in a Christian home, you know, that doesn't make you a Christian. And so it was a strange thing for me growing up. You know, you know the truth, you know the gospel, but it's when it kind of hit home that the Lord was interested in me and it really applied to me and it was a personal relationship for me to enjoy. And it was a simple thing of, we were actually on holiday when we were young and we were taken there. It was actually America. So it was a long old flight, especially when I think it was about 12 or 13 and absolutely shattered. I think there was a connection involved as well. And so we were going from the airport and trying to find our accommodation and a standard thing. We got lost along the way. And so we were probably a couple of hours, I would guess, lost in the middle of somewhere in Florida. And that was the first time I can actually remember actually sitting in the back of the car and just thinking, I can speak to God about this. And, you know, there was that spontaneous prayer and the first time I can ever really remember doing so. And I just spoke to the Lord there in the car and asked him if he would take us to this place of accommodation in safety. And it just so happened that, you know, a few minutes later, we find ourselves at the right junction and there's the accommodation that we've been looking for for hour after hour. And that just spoke to me, you know, that that God is interested, that God is caring, that he's over us, he's interested in us. And I just spoke to mum at the end of it and he said, you know, mum, I prayed that God would bring us here in safety. I was praying to him in the car and the privilege, of course, mum just turned to me and said, that's lovely. I was praying as well. And, you know, it's just those simple things that make you realize God is interested. God cares. He wants us to seek after him. And so it was kind of that that spurred me on. And I can just remember, can't tell you the day, can't tell you the date. But I can remember where I was in my bedroom back home shortly after that trip. And it was late at night. And I can just remember the excitement and the joy of asking the Lord to save me just simply there in my bedroom and realizing that I was a sinner who needed a savior and all the truth that I'd come to understand as a young boy, it kind of hit home and I was gloriously saved. And I suppose the sad thing then was it was late at night, so I didn't want to get in trouble. So, you know, the excitement was there. I wanted to tell mom and dad, but I thought I might get in trouble if I went out and spoke to them. Of course, I know better now that they would have loved to hear it, but I didn't actually tell them at that point. And actually, we're going to think of it probably, but it it was a few years down the line. You know, I kind of stayed quiet about it. And that was not the best thing to do. But yeah, that was the time for me, about 12, 13 years old in my bedroom, coming to know the Lord for myself. Moving forward, Matt, you move away from home and you obviously come to England for university. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I braved going across the border. Yeah, I ended up down in, in Winchester University. Sadly, after conversion, keeping quiet about it, it was kind of a, a backsliding, if you like. Well, certainly wasn't a progression. So there was a bit of a stalemate and 
the attractions of the world came in. You know, growing up in Wales, there's a bit of an interest in rugby. Um, there was a bit of a love for rugby that came here, a bit of a deterrent. And just things of the world and materiality and just kind of got a grip of me. And I ended up finding myself going to university. I'd have to confess that there wasn't much thought of myself before the Lord of where I should be going in that sense. I wasn't really seeking his guidance in the matter, but it was of the Lord's mercy and the Lord's grace that it worked out for my spiritual well-being, really. And it kind of brought me back into line where I should be spiritually before him. So, yeah, I ended up in uh, Winchester University doing the exciting course of accountancy and finance, which was great fun. <laughs> Not realised very early on that it wasn't going to be what I thought it was going to be, but I, I stuck at it. And, yeah, it was kind of the, the moment in my life, really, in that first year of university where the Lord put me back on track. And he, he used many people in that area. You know, the, the saints there, there's a, an assembly in Winchester, the Welcome Gospel Hall. And they were brilliant to me. You know, they took me in hospitality and cared for me, took an interest in me. And then there at Winchester, every other Friday night, they had a young people's meeting as well. I'd never really been to anything like that. There's not many young people growing up that I could remember. There was a few of us there in Cumbran, but we kind of kept ourselves to ourselves. And so this was something new for me, just to see so many young believers in one place at one time. It was quite encouraging. And then there were other... Other believers as well, you, you know them well, saints from Formarks, which is about 20 minutes down the road from Winchester. And they took me in as well. And just the shepherd care and, you know, the interest and the care of the saints. And they nurtured me along. And it was just a wake up call to me, really, that, that you can't play with Christianity. You know, it's not something that is just a Sunday only thing that you just go to a church once a week. You perhaps read a chapter through the week. Christianity is real and you've got to live it out. And it's a statement of following after Christ. And so it's no good just to meander down the road. You've got to go in for it and you've got to be serious with it. And it's a reality. That was a great wake up call for me going to university and the help that I was given and the way that people dealt with me and encouraged me along the way was a massive factor. I'll leave it up to you if you want to name names, but I know you went to live with a Christian family at, at one point. Yeah. That must be a, a bit of an unusual thing to experience because you don't hear too often of families opening the doors, bringing students in full time. Yeah. Well, it was, it was interesting that it was actually after the university had finished that I moved in. Well, I'll name them. Most people know them anyway. So it's Jonathan and Ruth Singleton. And they, they were great for me. The whole family were good to me. And it was after university had finished. So I actually had a temporary job down there for about a year and a half, I think it was. And so they put up with me. They opened a home. Well, I say they opened a home. They opened a shed in their garden. They call it a summer house. You should see it now. It's an absolute palace now since I moved out. But yeah, they opened the summer house to me. They were brilliant to me. So it was lovely just to, just to spend time with them and to see the way that they operate as well. You know, brought up in a Christian home, but things are done differently. It was a different assembly to go to there in Four Marks as well. But it was more young people and there was greater outreach going on there was a Friday youth club and it was a Sunday outreach as well and going out tracting and so it was just a different environment and a different thing that kind of awakened me and brought me back on track so yeah, it was a, a mighty privilege to spend time with them I must say. I uh, stayed in that 
shed stroke chalet <laughs> stroke villa in the garden just in September there. But they now charge a thousand pound a night. <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> they very kindly let me stay there, but it's very nice. It is very nice now, yeah. I need to get back down there at some point. <laughs> so obviously staying with the singletons and they're so involved with the work in Angola, you were coerced or you were forced to go to Angola with them, is that right? That's absolutely true, yeah. They needed a, a manual labourer, so I went out with them. <laughs> oh, they, they were good. Again, they opened the door for me to go. You, you've been out there, you know what it's like. I actually spent three summers out there, so when was that? That was 2013, 14 and 15. I spent, I think it was six and a half weeks, then eight weeks, and then 11 weeks or something the following year. So there were good chunks of time spent out in Angola, and it's just such a an eye-opening experience, isn't it, to go out there just to see how things are done in that area of the world. You know, we're so privileged. There's so much materiality. It's one of the great difficulties that we have in this country, in the UK, in the Western world, it kind of blinds the eyes and the minds of men and women. But just to go out there and see how the gospel is having an impact in the lives out there and the work that's been going on for so many years. I had the privilege of spending time with Ruth Hadley and chatting to her and the work that she's been engaged with for decades and what she gave up and how much it meant to her to serve the Lord and the privilege of what it is to be a servant of the Lord. It was just a humbling experience all around, really, from the poverty that you see people living in and just the opportunities that are there for the for the gospel, you know, just to spend time at the school that Ruth Hadley set up and see the privilege of seeing these children under the sound of the gospel every day, singing the choruses, learning Bible stories, learning Bible verses. But not just that as well, but seeing the fact that they were given an education they had the opportunity then to read and to write. And then you just have the joy of seeing this generation going on through in the assembly in the gospel hall across the road and seeing them now being able to read the Bibles for themselves and to study it for themselves and the interest that they've had. And it was just a wonderful experience, an eye-opening experience. And the joy that, you know, I always say that I think everyone should go out to an area like that just to experience it one time in their life. It's such a life-changing experience in that way. Yeah, it's like nothing I've ever seen before in both a positive and a negative sense. Yeah. You obviously have gone back to uh, to Africa since, and that's one of the things that we want to touch on in the interview, but it wasn't to Angola. So perhaps you could explain how you ended up going to a different country in, in Africa. Yeah, so... It first came to attention, really, when I was on that last trip in Angola in 2015, uh, just chatting to Ruth Hadley in her house. She spread the table for us again of an evening, the wonderful cook that she was, and opened the home. And we were just chatting again. And it just came onto a conversation of the country of Namibia. You know, it borders Angola. It's just to the south of Angola. We were just chatting about it and she was saying that as far as she knew, there was no assembly in that place, that there was no missionary that had ever spent a considerable amount of time there, at least anyway. And it just seemed to be a bit of an empty, barren land and a blank canvas, if you like, with regard to the gospel. And so it just kind of sparked an interest in me about an opportunity of going out there and sowing the seed and having some gospel distribution. Because I, I don't know about you when you were out in Angola, but the thing I found most difficult was 
the language. You know, it, it was good fun doing all the physical work and spending time with people and you, you get by on your, your sign language and your simple Portuguese and Chokwe, but the thing you really miss is being able to speak to them. And, you know, it'd be lovely just to speak to the workers and the children and just tell them your testimony and tell them something about the gospel and to further them in it and encourage them in it. And, you know, I, I struggled enough with English. So there was never a chance I was going to learn Portuguese and Chokwe. So one of the, the big pluses that is with Namibia is it's an English-speaking country. The official language is English. And so it got me looking into it on, in greater detail, really, when I came home from Angola that trip. And I was able to get in contact with a brother down in Cape Town, a brother called Rodney Brown, who served the Lord there. He's originally from Ireland, but he's served the Lord in Cape Town. And it turns out that he has an interest in Namibia as well. And he's been up there a couple of times uh, to visit. And he'd, he'd done some gospel work there. And he knows a couple of people who were interested in it, in it as well. And he actually told me about a seed sowers event that was going on. I think it had taken place the year before as well. So I think it was 2015. And he said it was going to take place again in 2016. So this was... Uh, an event really organized by two sisters in Laloma over in Zambia, serving the Lord there. And they've done it every year since, to be fair to them. It's a, it's a great work, great organization. So they do every March a CETOs event where you go over to Namibia. Well, the fact that there's no gospel hall there, there's no assembly there. There's no kind of real base to work from. So you're kind of staying in B&Bs and guest houses and such. But the premise is that you go out there. You buy your tracks out there. There's a printing press there, and we you just make your own tracks, and you go out and you distribute them. And so this was planned for March 2016, and so I got in touch with them and asked if I could hop on board and come along, and they said that was absolutely fine. And so that was really my first venture into the country of Namibia. It has always struck me that there's nothing really, that we know of regarding the gospel and an assembly work in that land. And you just see the countries that are around about it. And you've got Angola to the north. It's linked with Zambia and Botswana, South Africa in the south. And these are countries that have so much input, you know, from missionaries and the assembly work. So it just always seemed a bit strange that it was a country in the middle kind of neglected in some ways. And so it was just a, a good privilege to go out that March 2016 for the first trip. And kind of just spiraled on from there, then, and a number of trips would follow. What sort of response do gospel tracks get in Namibia? Very different to Cardiff. Um, so, so he was again an eye opener, you know. He got used to, I moved back to Wales from Four Marks in 2015. And we, on the first Saturday of the month, we'd go into Cardiff and we would do some open air preaching and distribution of tracts and giving out invitations. And I'm, I'm sure it's similar to what you face up in the north, but you know, I suppose 80, 90% of them are rejections. People just walk on by. At best, you get a no thank you, really. And so going out to Namibia, what a mighty difference. You've got people there coming up to you asking if they can have one, just taking them, you know, probably. 90-95% of them are, are being taken by people that come along and it, it just never ceases to thrill when you give them a verse because see so was the tract as it was it was a verse on the front with a picture and then on the back is an explanation of the verse and a simple gospel message and so you can give them the tract and then you can just hear them as they're walking away just reading it 
and they're just reading it out loud, you know, the, the Bible verse, by grace you're saved through faith. So you've given them a tract, and they're then just walking away, speaking it, and so people all around them are listening as well, and there's just such such a difference in response to the people out there. There's an interest in spiritual things. They want to, they have a respect, if I can put it like that, for the things of God. And so it was a mighty difference going out there, yeah, absolutely. As far as poverty levels and that sort of thing, how does Namibia compare to Angola? I'd say Namibia is probably more well-off in general than Angola, for sure. It's, it's quite similar in some ways to South Africa on a, a similar level, really. So you've got cities and towns that are, are well built up, just like we've got here in the UK. But then you go a few miles out and there's townships, shanty towns, people living in tin shacks in, in great poverty. So there's there's a great divide out there, there's a, a great imbalance again, as there very often is. Yeah, there's there's poverty, there's in the city's materiality again. But you can go to the city centre, you can go to the shanty towns, and the response would be the same, really. They, they'd still be willing to take a tract, willing to speak to you. It's not just taking the tract, they, they'd stop, they'd have a conversation, they'd want to know a bit more. And so, yeah, there's just a great open door out there, really, great opportunity. Just to say as well, in that regard, that was true of the first few visits for the first few years. But to be honest, the last couple of years there has been a bit more rejection there seems to be a bit more of a hardness to things they don't seem to be receiving it as well I think perhaps the western culture is kind of starting to come in and the internet's coming in and there's a bit of materiality creeping in so there is a a growing sense of rejection out there already which is a great shame have you been able to to do any meetings or kids work or anything while you've been across yeah so the great desire that we had really is to go into the schools out there, going out to Africa, there's great liberty. You know, you can just basically walk into the school and ask very different from over here. On the first couple of occasions, we went out there and sometimes you would just stand outside the schools and give the tracks to the children as they would come out and they would be well received and they'd be taking the word of God to their homes. And that's a wonderful privilege in itself. Then we started going in and asking if we could perhaps take some assemblies or something there. And so we've actually forged a, a very good relationship with the school out there. It's called Ochimusi Primary School, just on the outskirts, really, of Vinduk, the capital. It's in the area of the townships, the shanty town, so it's quite a poor area. But there's probably, it's a, it's a good school. It's, it must be a new school built in the last few years, really. We went in there, asked if we could give out tracts, and we were invited into the principal's office. It's not a place I've been to very often, I have to confess. But it was nice to be there on good terms and actually just sitting in the principal's office. There were just verses dotted around on the wall, which was lovely. So there was obviously a regard for the word of God in the school and based on Christian morals. And that became evident. And so we just happened to ask the principal, would you mind if we came in some mornings and took the assemblies and preached the gospel? And, and they were well open to it. They wanted us to come in more often than we could, really. We had the privilege of just rocking up the next day. Starts at seven o'clock school out there, a nice early morning. But they just split the school into two. So you've got the lower half and the upper half, about 1,600 children in total. And you're just there speaking to six, seven, 800 children. You don't know the levels of education, so it can be quite tricky. You don't want to be complicated anyway in the, in the preaching of the gospel. But when English is 
possibly not their first language. You've got to be very simple and to the point. Just a few hundred yards up, you've got the, the older half of the school hearing the, the gospel that morning and then the other half of the school hearing it as well. We also had the privilege, the, the sisters who organise it, arranged to um, make up bags for them. So we had pencils and rubbers and just some sweets and attract and information for them. And so they loved that as well. And they gave them out to, to every pupil. So we've got a great relationship with that. The principal, as soon as we go out there, I just send him a message on WhatsApp. You know, we're back. Is it possible to come back? And he, he bites our hands off and says, we'd love to have you back. That's a privilege. So you've also organised trips, not just for yourselves to go. How is it that you've managed to get the interest from others to support you in the work? Yeah, so, well, there's a, there's a great interest. The main one is in the March outreach that Julie and Rebecca are organising in La Loma. We have generally about 10 to 15 in that group. It's just kind of word of mouth, I suppose, and people who have an interest in going out to these trips and wanting to visit Africa and do some mission work and help out. They just get to hear of it and they love coming out. We've had some from North America, from Canada. We've had some from South Africa and Zambia and Botswana. And so there's a great mix. We've had a few from Wales as well, which is good. One from England. And so there's just, there's always been a desire from people to, to come out. And so the main one is in March. And then I've been out there a couple of times on my own as well. That's a, an interesting experience. I'm not sure it was the right thing to do looking back. Still, you feel safe out there. Sometimes you're organising it for yourself. Sometimes you're organising it for a group. You just put to order the tracks, depending on how many is turning up. That's the good thing that we have is we've got a relationship out there as well with a printer that so we can just pick them up. You just send them the, the track that you want, the, the design, and you just pick it up out there. Just hire a car and crack on. Very good. Perhaps you could share the story of your shortest visit there, your pre, <laughs> pre-COVID lockdown tour. Yeah, that was that was an interesting one. So this was, uh, when was that? That was March 2020, wasn't it? Just before things were kicking off. Yeah. So we actually, it was Chloe coming with me here in Derry. Chloe Holyfield was coming on the trip. And Naomi Davis was due to come out a few days later as well from Neath, about an hour down the road here from Derry. And so we left the sisters from Zambia and those from Zambia had already arrived and we're picking up the tracks. And so we were due to fly out on the Saturday. So we left Saturday afternoon thinking, you know, is this the right thing that we're doing going here when everything seems to be locking down? But we've been praying about it and the Lord hadn't shut the door. You know, the flight was still going on. And so we had said that as long as the flight was leaving, we'll be on the flight. And so it, it took place. We got to the airport, no problems. It was like a ghost town in the airport. So that was a bit weird in itself, but interesting walking through. They're so quiet, but we just arrived there, flew out since Saturday evening. And it's about 24 hours really door to door. So we left two o'clock Saturday afternoon. And so you arrive really at the guest house about two, three o'clock Sunday afternoon. And after about 40 hours being awake, we're just a bit of a catnap on on the plane. You're a bit shattered. And so you just try to make it through to Sunday evening and then get a good night's rest and crack on. But we were about to go to bed on the Sunday evening and all of a sudden there was knocks at the door and Julie and Rebecca were, were calling us for a team meeting because some breaking news had come across the internet that African countries were shutting the borders, which was music to the ears. Um, so it came to pass that uh, South Africa was shutting their borders 
and you had to be out by that Wednesday. And we were flying out via Johannesburg, so that basically meant that we had to be out by Wednesday. And I think Zambia was shutting their borders by the Tuesday or the, the Wednesday as well. So they'd had to drive back two days to get back to Zambia. So it was a bit of a mad rush. And so we kind of set the alarm clocks at about six or seven o'clock for Monday morning, found ourselves straight back at the airport trying to find another flight to get out of the country. They said they couldn't change the flights. So we ended up having to go back to the guest house and just buying different flights, really, with a different airline. And so we managed to get a flight for first thing Tuesday morning, which worked out just about well enough. So we routed the country. We got through Johannesburg on the Tuesday and we'd arrived back in, in Wales on the Wednesday. So, yeah, it was a bit of an interesting trip. So we just really went all the way to Namibia for about 24 hours, really. <laughs> but, you know, we, we were chatting about it, you know, on that Monday, the Monday afternoon when we got back from the airport, we, we went out with tracks, we distributed the word of God and had a few conversations. And, you know, you never know what the law can do with the distributed word and the seed that's been sown. And, you know, it's well worth it, isn't it? If you get to glory one day and you see someone who received the track that day or had a conversation and it's well worth it. So it was an interesting time. It was a tiring time, but hopefully it was well worth it. The Lord knows. So he opened the way and he took us back home in safety as well. So very thankful. Yeah, I mean, you could have decided that you had to stay there for 18 months, but... <laughs> It would have been a shame, wouldn't it? Sunshine for 18 months. <laughs> if you were to list some future plans, humanly speaking, for Namibia, what would they be? Yeah, well, the, the plan is, God willing, if things settle down again and restrictions continue to ease and we're able to go back out to Namibia, is obviously just carry on this postponed trip, really. The tracks are all there, ready and waiting. I think there was about 50 or 60,000 ordered. They're all waiting there at the guest house. I should say that the guest house that we stay in in Binduk is, is so good to us. The owner, we've got to know him over the years and he's good to us. He lets us use the kitchen, which isn't really for public use, but it's such a big group that he allows us to use the big kitchen and the nice kitchen. So it's easy to cook at the evening. And he also just leaves, lets us leave the, uh, the tracks there as well. It's got a little shed. So we just asked, you know, we've got, we've got to peg it back. Really, do you mind if we leave these boxes with you? And he says, absolutely, no problem. And they're still there waiting for us for the, for the trip to be resumed. So, you know, we don't know what it's going to hold in the, in the next few months, but God willing, we'll be able to get back out to Namibia next year and continue that trip. The previous trip in 2019, the last full trip that we had, one of the big things, I should have said this, one of the big things that we were aiming for was to be able to get into the university. You know, we've been able to get into the schools and we just had our aim really to get into the university. There's the six campuses in the area of Vinduk and there's thousands of students. And so we go in and we do distribution and you can go around the, the dorms and put it through the doors and stuff and have conversations. But what we really wanted was to be able to just rent out a room and then have some gospel meetings of an evening and just have a series to go through and to preach the word. And we've been trying to do this for a good few trips now. And on the last trip that we were there in 2019, we actually had a notification from them or a message from them to say that they would like us to come in and we'd be able to go in and rent a room and have some meetings. And it happened that that came through on the last day that we were there. So we weren't actually able to take up the opportunity and to do it. But 
hopefully the opportunity still stands for next time. So that's seems to be an open door for the next trip, if we can do that as well, to have a series of meetings. And we always try and do the children's work as well. So we'd appreciate that with the schools, appreciate prayer for doors to be open for children's work in, in various places that we go to. We try and do it so we, we go through various towns and cities and try and cover the whole country. We seem to have done it quite well in the last few years. We try and have a focus on universities, children's work. So God willing, the door will open up and we'll be able to get back out next year and use up those tracks and continue the spread of the gospel would be good. As far as prayer points are concerned, you mentioned the school work and the university opportunities. Are there any people or places or anything that in particular you would value prayer for? Yeah, I would appreciate prayer for a brother out there named Justin. I've said that there's no assembly out there as far as we know, but there's a good few denominations out there. Should have said there's a strong Christian influence out there. You know, you look on the government website and it says that it's a 90% Christian country. You know, obviously that's nominal. You take it with a pinch of salt, but there is a number of churches out there. And so Justin has come from an assembly background in Zambia and he's found himself and he's, well, was there for his studies, but he's found himself staying over there now. And so he had a heart for an assembly to be planted, brought up in the assemblies and he wants to see one day. He's been going to the Baptist since he's been there and he says it's encouraging and an enjoyable time just to have some sort of fellowship when you're out there because it can get pretty lonely, as, as you can imagine. Mm. And so please do pray for Justin that he might be hedged about, you know, that he might stay strong in his faith, that he might continue to have a desire for an assembly. You know, that might be the start of something out there. That something can go through him who's a resident out there now. That would be appreciated. And I appreciate prayer as well for a lady she was someone who got in contact with us. She received the tract and she sent an email to us. She wanted to meet up, but unfortunately we couldn't or she couldn't. She had exams or something, and so she couldn't meet up. But she sent us through a load of questions on the emails. I think it was about 10 or 11 good questions, to be fair to her. And so I replied to that, and she said that she was reading, she was seeking to understand, and she actually said that she had come to know the Saviour for herself. So that was a joy to hear. So please do pray for her that she might continue in that, that she might continue to read and grow in her Christian life as well. And hopefully heading back out, we'll be able to meet up with her and get in touch again and see how she's doing. That's excellent. That must be a real boost. Yeah, it's, it's a joy. Never met her. Well, I may, we may have been, I don't know who gave her the tract, you don't know, but never met her face to face. But yeah, it's just a, a joy to be a link in the chain, really, isn't it? And just a point her to the saviour and when she's got questions just to be able to give an answer and just to point her in the right direction and the joy is that she's reading it for herself so she says and thinking about it for herself and that's all you can ask for really that was a joy just to be a part in leading someone to christ i can't imagine you would ever bring up finance but it's important to say that going to namibia is not your full-time job you have a heart for namibia but you also you work yeah, yeah. If any of the listeners had a burden or a conviction to help in some way, are you happy if they got in touch with me to maybe try to help finance the work in Namibia? Yeah, absolutely. We'd greatly appreciate that. I must say, all the way through this, since I started going out, the saints have been so good. Gifts have been given. You know, every time I've been, the cost has been covered, really, through the gifts of the saints, whether or not that's 
just given straightforward to me or given through the saints that come along or through the Lord Works Trust and various organisations like this. Yeah, the saints, have, as they always do, they shine through and uh, they're very generous and they're very caring. And so very thankful for that over the years and the support that's been given to the work. Yeah. And I always end my interviews with a, a very simple question. Which Bible verse or verses have had an impact on your life? <laughs> very simple question, but a very good question. I suppose there's, there's many that I could reference, really. I suppose one that always stays in the mind that I always go back to, I love Psalm 73. I don't know if you're allowed to have favourite verses and favourite psalms and such like, but I have to say Psalm 73 is a very close one for me. Very fond of it. And it's a psalm of Asaph. There's a man there struggling with the prosperity of the wicked. And he's, he's wondering if it's worth carrying on. And he thinks his, his feet are nearly going. He's nearly slipped. And he's questioning things. And he's wondering why things are working out as they are. And there's just that verse that's really the turning point of the whole psalm in, in verse 17. And he says, until I came to the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their end. And I've always found that a great challenge, if you like, of where we get our viewpoint from and where we get our perspective from. You know, it's easy to get discouraged and find the way difficult when we see it from our own natural perspective. The important thing is to see it from the Lord's perspective and to see it, spend time in the sanctuary, to see where he's heading things to. And that's when we get a great appreciation of who the Lord is and what he's doing. And of course, when you do that, you see that the victory is already won. The future is assured. And so it's, it's just a great encouragement to, to go on and to faint not and to pursue and to go in for the things of God. And that kind of links I often feel with the great men and women of faith in Hebrews 11. You know, that's, that's always a delightful chapter to encourage yourself with, just to see those who've gone that way before and known the difficulties, but persevered and went on for the Lord. And, you know, you think of Moses, one who endured a sea and him who's invisible. You just think that's where you get your perspective and that's where you put your vision. It's, it's on a different world. It's on a different sphere. And you just keep your eye on the things of the Lord and he'll bring you through and he'll get you to the, to the safe shore, to put it like that. So, yeah, there's plenty of verses, but until I came to the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end is one that stands out as being precious to me. Well, thank you very much for giving you a little of your time, Matt, to share the, the work in Namibia. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Dan. Just say it's a great work as well that you're doing. I was listening to a couple of these podcasts and just great to hear the testimonies and the work that's going on across the world. So I appreciate that as well. I'm sure the Lord will bless your labours. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Testimony. If you have any suggestions as to who would make a good interview, then please get in touch at testimonypodcast at outlook.com or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. 
Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. 